Ah, good morning. Welcome to all of you who are here in person and those of you that are at home. We're grateful you're here. Um, we have been looking for this last little bit at the book of Jonah. How many of you were here last week to hear it? How, let me ask, how many weren't here to hear that message last week? You, you weren't here to hear the message last week. Where were you? Um, I can sum it up. I can sum up the story. I can sum up the story in um, six words. Okay, are you ready? Take notes now. This is for you. For you who weren't here last week, you can write these notes down. This will catch you up to where we are today. Six words. And I know those of you that were here are thinking to yourself, wait a minute, you used more than six words last week. That's true. The rest were just extra. All right? Uh, six words. This is about Jonah and the megalodon shark, I'm pretty sure. Something like that. Um, I always pictured it that way or else the blue whale, one or the other. I don't know. Uh, here is the summary of last week's message and it is simply this. God said go. Jonah said no. Is, is, would you think that's accurate, Artie? Is that, that a pretty good encapsulation? Yeah, yeah. Okay. God said go. Jonah said no. Now, to be fair, Jonah felt like he had some really good reasons for not going. But telling God no? Do you think that's really wise? Um, instead of going to Nineveh, where God told Jonah to go, Jonah hopped on a ship and went about 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. So it wasn't enough that he told God no. He doubled down on it. He was going to reinforce to God, my answer is no, by adding distance to it. Nope, I'm not going. And Jonah, and, and I want you to get this because I think this is probably, as, as I've been looking at this series, as I've been preparing, studying, I think this is probably one of the most relevant books for this time that we live in that I could ever imagine. Jonah, like us, wanted to get to vote on what he was going to do or not do. He didn't want somebody higher telling him what to do. I don't think I should have to do that. I'm not going to do that. He wanted to vote on what he thought was good and what he thought was bad, what he can do, and what he won't do. And that's the story of Jonah. In other words, he wanted, and please hear me, listen, each of you, he wanted the kingdom of God to be a democracy where everybody would get a vote and we would decide whether we think the Authority God has is sufficient to tell us what to do. Or the authority God appoints in our lives is sufficient or not. Now, for me, as I looked at chapter 1, one of the most ironic points in the whole chapter comes right about in the middle. Um, the ship that Jonah got on is floundering in this storm. These are seasoned sailors now. They knew what they were doing. And when they say they were fearing for their lives, it means this was a serious storm. 
and they find Jonah sleeping down in the belly of the ship. And the captain comes and wakes him up and he says, why aren't you praying? And some other discussion went on. And finally, Jonah says to him, I am a God-fearing worshiper of Jehovah God. I mean, that's kind of ironic when you think about it. I'm a God-fearing worshiper of God while I'm walking in rebellion on a ship trying to get as far away from God as I can. Because verse 2 tells us he got on the ship to flee from the presence of the Lord. He wasn't just trying to get away from having to do something. He was fleeing from God. The captain asks him to pray. And Jonah wasn't in a praying mood. In fact, the truth is, if Jonah had been in a praying mood all along, maybe he wouldn't be in this mess. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are a lot like Jonah, and I suspect we are, some of those, but we want to do what we want. We don't want God to tell us what to do. We don't want God to put somebody in authority to tell us what to do. We want to do what we want to do, what we think is best, and we don't even want to bother praying about it. I heard the story of a, a place in uh, Texas that uh, an establishment wanted to increase its uh, growth and, and its size for doing business, and the name of the establishment was Drummond's Bar. So they wanted to build a new building to increase their business, and the local church, which was right across the road, decided they didn't want a new bar, a bigger bar. So they began to pray that somehow God would shut it down. But work proceeded without a problem until the night before Drummond's was to open their new building. They had a huge thunderstorm, much like what we had last night. Lightning bolt hit Drummond's bar and it burned to the ground. And the church was pleased as peaches. They, they were even a little smug about it until the owner of Drummond's Bar sued them for liability because they believed that your prayers were what caused our bar to burn down. In response to the, that brief that Drummond presented to the courts, the church said, we had nothing to do with this. When it finally got to court, the judge read all of the briefs from both sides and he basically said this, I don't know what I'm going to decide. It's the oddest thing. I have a beer-drinking, alcoholic bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and I have a whole church that doesn't. <laughs> well, I think a lot of times we're the same way. We don't even bother praying because we think we already know what's best for us. So, in the end, in chapter 1, the ship's crew, finally, even though they tried hard to make it through the storm, the ship's crew had to throw Jonah overboard. He ended up in the depths of the sea, swallowed by... Yes. Do you think it looked like that, by the way? Kind of cutesy, pretty... Yeah, I don't know. Well, this is where we pick up our story today. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great megalodon shark. 
Let's look at it. John, Jonah chapter 2. If, you, if you're not there, you can turn there in your Bibles or with your phone. Jonah chapter 2. And by the way, Jonah chapter 2 is the heartfelt, anguished cry of a man struggling with God and with what God had asked him to do. Some commentators call Jonah chapter 2 the Psalm of Jonah. But as we read Jonah chapter 2, which is really all but one verse is his entire prayer to God, I want you to keep in mind this prayer is a snapshot. It's a Polaroid picture of what Jonah actually prayed because you got to know, spending three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish, he prayed a whole lot more than that. But this kind of encapsulates it. Let's look at it. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1. Jonah 2. It says, then. 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 No, go back. Go back. Then. Verse 1 of chapter 2. They're getting it. It says, then. When? When is then? Then is when Jonah is in the belly of the great fish and finally decides, God, I think you're trying to get my attention. The storm wasn't enough. Having lots drawn pointing to him wasn't enough. Getting thrown overboard wasn't enough. It's till he's sitting inside of the belly of this great megalodon that he realizes, God, could this possibly be you? It says, then, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Jonah went from prayerless rebellion to anguished cry to God in just a moment's time as the acid from that great fish's stomach began to burn his skin white so that his name, which meant dove or white, actually came to pass. Can you imagine what it looked like for the people when he was spit out finally on the shore? Because you know the story. Here comes this man who's probably lost his hair and he is white from head to toe. And from that place, he prayed to the Lord his God. And it says in verse 2, look at it, verse 2, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Look at it again. Just leave it on the screen. Look at that again. Read it. Don't just assume because you know the story, you already know everything. Read it. What is God saying to us in the midst of this? Here he is, right smack in the middle of Jonah's rebellion and resistance. He still calls out to God, and what does it say? What's it say? God heard him and God answered him. Think about it. Here is this prophet of God who knows what's right and wrong, resists God, goes his own way, ends up in the belly of the whale or the great fish, and he calls out to God, even in his rebellion, and God hears him and God answers him. Don't let that pass you by. God hears your prayers. Let me say it again. God hears your prayers. 
It isn't a matter, and I think sometimes we think this, I have to master the art of praying a certain way. I, at various times, we, we've had ushers back when the church sanctuary actually looked normal. We'd have ushers come forward, and I'd say to one, one of, one of you, would you pray please over the offering? And they would change their voice. I mean, normally they talk just like you and I, but when it came time to pray, they would change their voice. Oh, dear Lord God, most high, hear our prayer. Bless this offering and those who can't give. I mean, they pray like they've got to be professional prayers. You don't have to master the art of anything. You don't have to get your word so perfect that God will finally be persuaded by your brilliance. You just need to cry out to God. You cry out to God even when the situation that you find yourself in, the mess that you're in, is your own fault. You still cry out to God. Oh God, hear my prayer. And God heard him. So even if our distress is our own fault, God hears and God answers. Think about it. God of all gods. God of the universe. The, the creator and sustainer of all things. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. The Holy One Himself. The God of all gods. Hears your words. I want you to think about it. God hears you. Did you know that? Do you believe that? God actually hears you. He listens to your cry. And it says, He answers. We can call to Him. He will hear us. You know, it amazes me how often we as God's people fall into the trap of when we get in trouble and we've tried everything. We've tried to get ourselves out of trouble. We've tried to do everything we can to fix the problem. And still, we're stuck. And so what do we say? We say, well, I guess all I can do is pray now. Can you imagine how insulting that is to God? Well, God, I guess you're my last resort. Ain't got anywhere else to go. I better. Can you do anything about this? But that's the kind of thing we do. God, I've tried everything else. I'm pretty good at what I do. I can fix this plumbing without a problem usually, but now anything I try to do, it's not working. I, I've put bread in the pipe to try to stop the water from coming down through the solder. Will I've tried everything, God, and it's not taken. So you think you could maybe do anything? But that's how we often pray. Prayer for us is too often like Disney's wishing upon a star. You know, first star I see tonight. God, you're up there. Can you do something? The Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, and I think it's verse 16, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Boldly. We have the authority, the authorization from God Himself to come into His very presence. And when we come into His presence, we don't receive judgment. It says, we receive help in a time of need. We receive grace and we receive mercy. That's what it tells us. So I'm, my question to you this morning is, are you like Jonah? Have you found yourself in a tight spot lately? And have you at least like Jonah cried out to God? Or are you still trying to fix it yourself? I found, by the way, on Facebook, and I don't know what the issue is. I really don't. I don't know if it's peer pressure. 
even among Christians. I find that a lot of times people online post something like, would you please pray for me because I have need of this. You know, let, let, let's just say Rick posts on Facebook, and I'm picking on Rick because I don't even know if Rick's on Facebook. But he posts on Facebook and he says, would you please pray for me? I, I'm really struggling in all of this heat up here. It's hot. It's much hotter than even in Florida. It's hot. So he posts this. And I've noticed people respond to Rick and say, oh, my dear friend, I feel so bad for you. My thoughts are with you. I'm thinking about you. Now, i got to tell you, if it's an unbeliever who says, I'm thinking about you, my thoughts are with you, I receive it as their genuine care for me and I, I'm grateful for it. But if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm asking you for prayer, please don't just think about me. Pray for me. Cry out to God for me. Because we believe God hears and God answers. Jonah said, in my affliction or in my distress. That's the Hebrew word, Sarah, by the way. To Sarah probably more accurately. And it literally speaks to, it's like a word picture of a woman giving birth and it speaks to the travail, the pain that a woman is in when she's giving birth. Now, I know that pain is subjective. I mean, how can you compare pain? Um, I've hurt myself before and, and I've heard other people tell me They've hurt themselves in the same way. And the tendency, the temptation is to try to figure out whether your pain is worse than their pain. Well, you can't compare pain. I do know this, however. Having been with my wife for all three of our children being born, and the first child was after, I think it's 30-some hours? 37 hours of hard labor. Think about it. I was exhausted. <laughs> she wanted to walk the halls of Highland. I wanted, we were in a birthing center with a bed. I wanted to lay down and take a nap. I was in so much pain. I, I've come to this conclusion, though. Having watched my wife give birth to three children, I have no clue what pain is. Not compared to that. Jonah says, in my affliction, in my travail of childbirth. He, he's basically saying to us, it's here, in this place, that something good in God is being birthed in me. Yes, it's painful. But I am being born again, as it were. And then the next part of that verse, chapter 2, verse 2 says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. What in the world is Sheol? Now, maybe some of your translations say out of the grave. I, I think that's, that's an okay way to look at it. I think it can be grave. But I think the word shield, if you look it up, actually has a bigger import than that. It actually speaks to death and hell. And in fact, what Jonah is saying is at the point in time when he felt furthest from God, most hopeless and most helpless, it was at that point in time that God heard His voice. And maybe right now, you're feeling the depths of despair, of affliction. Maybe for you, it's your marriage. Maybe you feel like your marriage is shield. 
death in the grave. Nothing good is coming out of us. Maybe for you it's your finances. Maybe for you it's your health. Maybe it's just that during this pandemic, you are so depressed and discouraged about how life has changed around you, you've become angry and bitter about it even. And you are so far from God, and yet Jonah said, even from that place, I cried out to God, and He heard my voice. There's never a point in your life, no matter how far you feel from God, that you can't cry out to Him, and He will hear your voice. When we need God the most, and probably honestly deserve Him the least, because we're the ones who made this mess, it's at that point that God our Father has promised that I am with you, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and I will hear your cry. So when you put verses 1 and 2 together, and I know I've taken a little bit too long on this, but when you put verses 1 and 2 together, basically this is my paraphrase of what Jonah is saying. He's saying, I was as good as dead, but God in His mercy caused me to tisara, to labor until I am born again. He's saying, in the moment I was most helpless and couldn't contribute anything to the situation, here is what I found. And let me just tell you what Paul says he found in this situation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4-9. to But hear this for your own soul. Let this speak. Soak into your soul. It's like the rain yesterday. We need even more rain. That was a good soaking rain. But we need more because ultimately our souls can become hard. So let this soak in like a, a, a rain that hits the earth. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. It's not enough to say He loved us. It's with His great love He loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together. Made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now stop and think about it for just a moment. At any point in this story, God could have just miraculously delivered Jonah to Nineveh. God could have translated him there like he did to Philip in the book of Acts. Could have just taken his body and boop, there you are in Nineveh now. Could have done that. God could have caused the storm to calm just like Jesus did in the Gospels. And when the sailors threw Jonah overboard, God could have caused him to walk on water right to Nineveh just like Jesus did. What I want you to see is that though the process is painful, God was trying to work something into Jonah while he was in the belly of that great fish. Something that Jonah was obviously missing and not getting. God was trying to work something of his heart for people into Jonah's heart. And I want to remind you, the pain really was Jonah's doing. Jonah was the one 
who went down to Joppa to get away from God. Jonah was the one who went down into the ship. Jonah was the one who ended up being thrown overboard into the depths of the sea. Jonah was the one who went down into the belly of the whale. All of that was Jonah. All throughout the story, there's pain. But God is even working in the midst of pain. And see, here's our problem. So often when God doesn't do exactly what we want, when we want, we think God's absent. When the truth is, is it possible that in God not answering you in the way you think He should, God's actually doing something inside of you? Could God be working His good pleasure inside of you to make you more and more like Jesus? Because Paul tells us in Romans that He has already predestined us. He's arranged it ahead of time for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Are you looking like Jesus? Are you looking more and more like Jesus every day? In your attitudes, in your words, in your demeanor, in how you come across? In what is the passion of your heart? If we were to take your Facebook post recently and just look at it, does it cry out Jesus or something else altogether? Maybe you prayed for immediate, miraculous healing, and that's a good thing to pray for. When you're hurting, I think you should pray for healing. But maybe God, in His mercy and wisdom, decided there's another better way. And He works something inside of you even through it. How many of you can remember when you got saved? You remember. How many of you, at that point, remember making the decision, I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? How many of you remember that? We all, all at some point in time, probably came to that place where we said, I am deciding. We sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. And we've made that decision. But how many of you have been walking with God long enough that when you now look back at that event and even see when you made the decision, you realized it really wasn't an event at all. It was a process. And that God was drawing you to Himself all along. Is that not true? You thought you made the decision. But only when you look back, you realize God was doing a whole lot behind the scenes. And that's exactly what was happening for Jonah right there. God was working something of His heart and His will into Jonah. Look at verse 3. For you, O God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight. Yet, 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 I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I love the word picture here. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me. He's talking about being in prison. Yet you. Say that. Yet you. You God. You. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you in your holy temple. Jonah recognized in that moment the hand of God behind everything. He says, God, these were your billows, your waves. This was your doing. And I'm okay with it, God, because you are doing something inside of me. 
And he switches gear in verse 6, and he says, yet you. There's a saying that we have uh, in America. I think, I don't know if it's around the world. Maybe it's in Italy. It's go, it goes something like this. It ain't over till... That's a terrible saying. I can't believe you guys just said that out loud. The saying should be, it ain't over until God says it's over. And when God says it's over, it's because He's done something marvelous in your life and through your life for His glory. We read, Jonah went down, Jonah went down, Jonah went down. But in verse 6, look at it, but you, God, brought me up from the pit. Jonah made decisions and it kept going downward. But when God gets involved, He always brings us up out of the pit, out of the jail we've created for yourself. Some of you feel like your life is spiraling out of control, going down for the last time. And I want to remind you, never forget, but gods are still available to you today. But gods are still available. Yet God, you, brought me up out of the pit. Remember, He can take you from the depths of Sheol, raising you from the dead, and giving your life purpose. All things are possible with God, and nothing is impossible for Him. I don't care how far gone you think you are, there is nothing that is too late for God's intervention and His redemption. God has purpose for your life. There's a point in time where uh, all of us have reached it, where we feel like there's no hope. I'm not going to survive this. I don't know if I'll make it. But the truth is, you're still here today. Because God saved you. Some of you today need to remember God, just like Jonah did. And you, you can say, well, I never forgot him. But the truth is, we can go for hours, we can even go for days without giving a thought to God. I've noticed in my own life, when things are going really well, I tend to just think things are going to keep going well, and I just go along. But when things start to go wrong, have you noticed your first recourse? That's when you begin to cry out to God. I think sometimes our, our issue is we forget God. And we need to, like Jonah, remember God. And then in the next verse, he shifts his tone. It's almost like he's telling us, whatever you do, don't do what I did. Don't run from God. He says this in verse 8. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Another translation puts it this way. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Are you wondering why? You're not having the grace of God that you've been accustomed to in the past? Is it possible that you are clinging to some idol in your life? And I'm not talking about some stone that you keep on the mantelpiece. I'm talking about things, beliefs, philosophies, ideas that you hold more dear than God Himself. And you might say, oh no, 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 Pastor, I would never do that. When God looks into the heart, God knows what really matters in your life. You might ask, what idols did Jonah have? Well, I think he probably had several. I think he had the idol of self-will. He wanted to make his own decisions. I think he also had the idol of prejudice and of nationalism. Jonah had this philosophy of us versus them. I want us, me and mine, 
My people, I want them to have the blessing and presence of God. But them, they don't deserve it. Let them go to hell. And we do that kind of thing in our own lives. We think some people are deserving of mercy and grace while others are not. And that's what Jonah faced. And we forget John 3.16. For God so loved the... All of us. And all of them. God loves President Trump. Do you believe that? He does. God loves Nancy Pelosi just as much as she loves Donald Trump. And Charles Schumer. And whoever else you can think of. There is not one person, hear me, there's not one person on planet Earth that God loves less than another. God loves them every bit as much as He loves you. We forget what Paul tells us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are in the same boat. All we like sheep have gone astray. None righteous, no, not one. So don't sit there all high and mighty like you're so righteous. Your righteousness is Christ in you. It's what Christ has done that makes us righteous. Prejudice isn't just a hatred towards a group. And I want you to hear this. I think this is a key to the whole book and you will find more about it in chapter 4 when Jonah actually tells you why he rebelled. Prejudice is not just the hatred of a specific group. It's our failure as Christians to love them as desperately and fully as God does. When you make an us-them kind of statement, you have already proven that you are prejudiced and you don't have the love of God for those people. The heart of rebellion and independence that Jonah also had to confront as one of his idols is where you decide, I think I know what is best. I think I should be able to tell God what I will do and what I won't do, what I can do and what I choose not to do because you can't ask me to do that. But here, Jonah sees it more clearly than ever before. And from this place of humble recognition, he says in verse 9, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. You see, it's not enough just to say, I'm sorry. Repentance means there's a turning. There's a turning around and going in the opposite direction. There's something that shifts inside of you. We don't know exactly what Jonah vowed, but I'm sure he vowed that God, wherever you send me, whenever you send me, to do whatever you want me to do, I will do it for the rest of my life. And is that the cry of your heart? God, whatever, wherever, whenever, whoever. Is that the cry of your heart? God, I don't want to be like Jonah where I think I know best. I'm going to follow you. And then finally, from the belly of the great fish, helpless to do anything other than to offer his life to God, he says these words, salvation is of the Lord. You can't make it happen. God alone is the one that could change Jonah's situation, and he alone is the one that can change your situation. And from that place of repentance, verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let me give you really quickly four lessons we have learned so far in Jonah, and I'm just going to give them to you quick because we don't have time. But number one, God is always in control. 
God is always in control. You can think you can run from God, but it doesn't matter. He appointed the storm. He appointed the fish. He can take care of it. Number two, you can never successfully run from God. Somebody years ago called God the hound of heaven. He has a way of finding you no matter where you try to hide. Number three, God can work good even out of our rebellion. Stephanie uh, posted it this week on Facebook uh, about how God, even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion, turned, opened, persuaded the hearts of those heathen sailors toward himself. God can work good even out of our rebellion. And number four, God will bring salvation when we call on him and make a choice, a decision to follow him for the entirety of our lives. God will work salvation. Salvation is more than just that you get to go to heaven. It's that you get to walk this life with God. Would you stand with me? So here we are. Jonah, gone from the ship to the belly of the great fish, and now he is spit out on dry land. And we're going to find out next week what happens in this story as a cliffhanger to us. Would you bow your heads? And again, I want to say a couple things, but I want you to keep your heads bowed and just kind of press into the Lord for a moment. I said at the beginning, I think this is probably one of the most relevant books that I could imagine to the situation we find ourselves in. And I want to ask you, have you personally come to the place in your life where you have made the decision to follow Jesus? No matter what, no turning back. If not, today would be a great day to do that. Knowing that God is able to work good in and through you. The second thing I'm wondering about is, have you personally made the decision that you think you know what's best and you've developed something of the us-them mentality? So much so that though you can say, I don't hate them, I don't want to kill them, I want us to be the ones blessed, not them. I want us to be the ones receiving the promise, not them. Is there something of prejudice or nationalism in your heart, just like it was with Jonah, that God went to such great lengths to put his finger upon and to say, no more, not in my kingdom. My kingdom embraces all people of all time. Father, in the name of Christ, I'm asking you to move our hearts more and more towards you. That we would not live our lives thinking we know best and that we should be able to get a vote in this. Once we give our lives to you, we have lost our rights and we have become servants of the Most High God. Obeying Him, knowing that in obedience there will come great blessing and fulfillment. And we will be the people you have caused us and want us to be. So, Father, work that inside of our souls today. That like Jonah, we can recognize it's all of God. Anything that's not of God is not worth thinking or doing. It's all of you. Let that truth dawn upon our hearts in the same way that it did for Jonah in the belly of the great fish. That's my prayer for us as a people. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your sunny day.